This morning is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10, and then 16 to 20. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wait, wait. All right, who's the super spy agent here? What was that? Thanks, Sue. Anybody remember that song? Yeah, it's an impossible, right? Ever watch that show? Yeah, where the, the guy gets a, 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 a stuff to uh, go on a mission, right? Um, well, I was going to teach you a song today. Um, the song is one that I learned probably when I was a little older than Ben, maybe the ages of Matt and Olivia. Matt, right? And Olivia? Um, Uh-oh. But it's not what's in here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Things happen when you try to do things sometimes. Not at this time. Nope, that's not the right one. 
Anyway, there was a message on here, and I don't know where it went, so. But the message was very similar to what you might have heard on Mission Impossible. Good morning, Christian. There are people around the world that are in dire straits. They need your help. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go into the world and tell them about Jesus. Oh my, all these people? Oh, that's a lot of people. Ah, we have a map, a disguised map. It's got writing on it. So we're supposed to go into the world. All of these places that are in colors are places we're supposed to go. How are we supposed to do that? And how are we supposed to find all these people? I wouldn't even know what country they're from. Oh my goodness. How am I gonna find this guy? Oh no. Oh, wait a minute. There's always helpers in the envelope, right? Well, here's a list of my helpers. These are missionaries that are around the world that we support. We have missionaries in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. And Ibro-America, Ibro you ever hear that? Ibro-America and the Caribbean. Um, and this is what we're called to do. Go into the world and teach them about Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and give them the good news. That's a lot of work. There are a lot of people here that we're supposed to reach out. This picture has a whole bunch of people in it. How am I supposed to find all those people? I don't know how I'm gonna find all these people. There's some more people. People, people, all over. They all look different. Oh my goodness. Well, one of the ways that we can do this, as Bernice mentioned, is by giving our money. We give um, our money and our offerings, and a percentage of what we give is sent to one of four offerings at the moment. We have America for Christ, where we reach out to local and missions here in our own country. We have World Missions, which is where all these people are. We have the Retired Ministers and Missionaries offering. And then we have the One Great Hour of Sharing offering, which goes wherever it is needed. So that's one way we can help do this. But that's not enough. When I was looking at the scripture passage, there's a word that's in there three times that was kind of important. Anybody know what that word was? Go, go. We're not just supposed to give money and say, okay, I did my job, I gave my money. We need to do. But I can't, I have a job, I have a family. I can't go packing off to Africa or, or Bolivia or wherever they need me. So what can I do? Well, one thing you can do is make blankets or do some sort of thing that you can make to give to people that are in need. Hats and mittens and scarves and socks. Those are things that we can do. But go. We can't all go. But if we tell someone about Jesus, that's going. 
for going to someone and telling them. And it seems like it's an impossible mission to do, to go to the whole world. And Jesus said that everybody has to know about him because that's what he does. That's what it's all about. That's the good news. But what seems like an impossible task, if each one tells one, and that one tells one, eventually we'll get to everybody. And that makes it mission possible. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us a commission, a job that is of great importance. Our phones won't self-destruct. We won't be turned into whatever, but you have given us a mission to do. It seems like an impossible mission, but we know that with you, all things are possible. And so we ask that you would help us to fulfill your request to go into all the world, to preach your word, your love, your grace, your redemption, your forgiveness for sin, of sin, your resurrection, and baptize these people into the knowledge of you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm just awkward enough to really enjoy singing that the Sunday before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you arose, and we can celebrate that all year because it affects us all year. This is the reality that we live in. Your kingdom is here. We pray that you will help us to see a little bit more today how that is and to go forth from here um, living that reality just a little bit more in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is the last, finally, the last sermon of our Matthew sermon series that we started the day after Easter, and we're finally talking about Easter. Um, and at the beginning, once Jesus grows up, and starts his ministry, Matthew tells us that he went and he taught people saying the kingdom of the heavens is near. Well, today we're going to think about how the kingdom of the heavens is here. This idea that the kingdom of the heavens, this restored earth, this earth that's turned back right side up from the upside down world that we live in most of the time under the power of what has traditionally been called the world of the flesh and the devil, but we've been calling empire. This is the story arc of the Gospel of Matthew, how Jesus has come to flip things back the way they were supposed to be. Two weeks ago, we talked about how empire is kind of like the TV show Squid Game, a violent and horrifying game with horrifying rules in which money or power is God and everyone has to watch their own back and the only way to get out of the game is to die. And last week we saw that Jesus changed the rules. He totally changed the rules. Empire was saying to him, hey, come down from the cross. Fight back. Take your stand. Let God rescue him if he wants him. That last one is what Jesus actually did. He let God, the Father, rescue him. 
And in doing that, in not fighting back, in not coming down from the cross and avoiding suffering and putting himself first and not doing those things, he flipped the world back right side up so that it can start becoming again a world where God's will is done on earth as in heaven, where human beings are active participants in God's work in the world, bringing life and not death. Jesus changed the rules. It's no longer look out for number one. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And as you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took on evil by actually taking on evil. He took it on to himself and he dragged it down to hell where it belongs. And he literally physically came back to life. From a death he didn't deserve. Jesus is king. He is already king. He is king here and he is king now from Easter Sunday and ever since. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' authority as the risen one is the authority of the one who has defeated tyranny itself, the ultimate tyranny of death. His is the authority under which life, God's new life, can begin to flourish. Despite what many people today suppose, it is basic to the most elementary New Testament faith that Jesus is already ruling the whole world. And so today we, we saw how he comes back to life and he reveals that to the women who tell it to the disciples. And they all meet up again, again in Galilee and Jesus gives his final teaching, which is the shortest of all his teachings in the Gospel of Matthew, except for repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this teaching is about what is involved in living right side up. And it is bracketed by two sentences that show us how to live right side up. It's a resurrection version, a hope-filled version of the taunts that people threw at Jesus when he was on the cross, let God rescue him if he wants him. Let God rescue him if he, let God rescue them if he wants them. Let God rescue us if he wants us. He wants us. We are living in a world where we can now be 100% dependent on God. There is no more barrier between us and God because Jesus accomplished reconciliation. And the first sentence of this teaching, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the last sentence, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the key. This is how we can live right side up when many other things around us seem to still be upside down. And T. Wright also says, people get very puzzled by the claim that Jesus is already ruling the world until they see what is in fact being said. The claim is not that the world is already completely as Jesus intends it to be. Good thing. That would be super disappointing. The claim is that Jesus is working to take it from where it was under the rule of not only death, but corruption, greed, and every kind of wickedness 
and to bring it by slow means and quick under the rule of his life-giving love. And how is he doing this? Here is the shock. Through us. His followers, those who believe in Jesus, who are witnesses to his resurrection, are given the responsibility to go and make real in the world the authority which he already has. This is what um, Bernice was sharing with us about, and this is what Barb was talking to us about. We are, when we go, we're not just trying to convince people about something. We are making real in the world the authority which Jesus already has. So here's some questions. What about all the problems in the world? Yeah, Jesus is working on this, but like, we still have a lot of them. <laughs> 2,000 years later, is this getting any better? Here's another question that strikes a little closer to home. What about the ways the church has contributed to the problems in the world? What about the question or the statement that a couple of you have been making over the last few weeks? Um, it's easier to know what to do than to actually do it. Anyone relate to that? It is easier to know what to do than to do it. These are all good questions. And we know that Jesus' kingdom is not an anything-goes kingdom. He went to the cross, and he did not resist. But he was not a passive Messiah. He spent three years up to that point teaching and demonstrating the way he wanted people to live. And so it's not just, well, whatever you feel like. If it feels good, do it. You can, it it's okay. They're there. doesn't matter. It's not a passive kingdom. Jesus was not passive, even though he allowed all of these horrible things to be done to him. Even, even as he allowed it, he wasn't being passive. It was just a different way of taking on evil. Last week, Jesus laid down his right to be right, not because righteousness doesn't matter, but because it does. Not because evil should go on unchecked, but because it shouldn't. It's just that in the world where God is king, we have a different source. We have a different place that our actions come, that our motivations come, than empire has. Or than we had when we were living under the authority of empire. In empire, our source is the world around us, society around us our own flesh, our own desires, the things that we want to do, and the devil. Those things are the things that influence us, that make it, that color our, give us our lenses that we see the world through, that make us um, do things that are self-serving or that aren't thinking about other people. When we are really living in Christ, suddenly but also subtly, so, so kind of slowly, um, our motivation and our, our inside changes. So we start to want what God wants. So we start to do what God is doing. When the world and the flesh and the devil says, let God rescue them, we can say, great, that's what we're counting on. <laughs> God rescues us out of bad situations, but God also rescues us out of our tendencies to 
sin or to be lazy or to not live God's will. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, that is a comfort. That is where we get our strength to live like all authority is his. So Advent starts next week, and it's when we start to focus on the phenomenon of God with us. God becoming a human being and actually living with us the Gospel of John puts it, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word is sort of the intentions of God, how God wanted people to live. And the word became flesh in Jesus Christ and lived with us. And now because of Jesus' death and resurrection, his word can be embodied in our flesh by the Holy Spirit. So we can try really hard to practice what Jesus preached, but it is not a default for us. It's not a default to be poor in spirit or to mourn or to be meek or to be peacemakers instead of peacekeepers. It doesn't come naturally to us. And we can try to be all those things and we might make a little bit of headway, but if that's where we stop, if we aren't letting Jesus' spirit transform our spirit so that the ways of the kingdom and his own ways become part of who we are and not just something we know, we will keep trying and we will keep failing. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it's good to have humility about our own capacity to fail and honesty about the fact that we still sin it is not helpful and it can become very prideful to imagine that suddenly we're perfect jesus died for me and now i have the holy spirit and so i'm never going to sin again that's not how things usually play out here but i think sometimes the opposite of that happens where we get so bogged down with the fact that we aren't perfect and we keep maybe wrestling with the same things that we start to focus on those and forget that Jesus came to set us free. We can keep ourselves tied up in the grave clothes of empire even when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and even when we know that he is with us to the very end of the age, Jesus might challenge us to do something kingdom-like, and we say, no, I'm, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here in my little mummy suit. Um, it's more comfortable here. It, like I said, it's important to acknowledge our sin, and actually, churches are often not very good at that either. And we might um, start to incorporate something around that discipline in our services in the future. Because it is the Bible tells us to confess our sins to each other so that we can be healed. So I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. But I am saying we have more resources. We have more possibility to be transformed than I think sometimes we give. We don't have to give ourselves credit for it. 
than we give Jesus credit for. We aren't on our own to perfect ourselves anymore. We're not on our own to be kind all the time. We're not on our own to love people all the time. Jesus overcame evil with good, and he can do that. If he can do that by defeating death and coming out of the grave fully alive, he can certainly do that in our own lives too, as we cooperate with him. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, he says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We might as well live like it. So, in between those two sentences, there's this little kind of to-do list. How we should live under the king's authority before he comes back. And starts with, therefore, go. Like Barb said. And there are lots of different ways to go. Under Jesus' authority, we can go wherever he sends us, whether that's to stay right here or to go somewhere else, to another part of the state, to another state, even out of the country, because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That means everywhere. Where he sends us, we can trust him keep us there is a hymn that i actually kind of like but it says the world is this world is not my home but actually this world is our home this is the world jesus created for us to live in and inhabit and exercise his dominion over and when jesus sends us anywhere anywhere on this planet can be home as we go in his name and in the spirit of the beatitudes to love our neighbors as ourselves into the life-giving authority of Jesus. The next to do, make disciples. Let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying make converts. He's not saying go somewhere else and convince everybody to think exactly the same things you do about me. That's, I guess, an okay start. But if that's all that happens, the shelf life isn't going to be very long. Jesus is asking us to, in his authority, go and love him with all our being and love other people so that they become also more people who not only know the right thing or maybe even say the right thing, but who ignore the countercultural, or who ignore the uh, empire way of doing things and start doing the countercultural right thing. People who are getting to know Jesus like we are. People who are encountering Jesus by his spirit through scripture and through each other. This is something that's important for churches. Our church and any church if all we're doing, if all I'm doing up here is educating you, I am not a good pastor. Pastor means shepherd, and a shepherd is supposed to feed the sheep. And feeding definitely happens through interpreting and explaining the word, the scripture. But it also happens through living. This is how we're supposed to disciple each other. 
we spend time in the scripture. We let the Holy Spirit interpret the scripture to us. We spend time in scripture together. We pray together. We adjust our lives according to how the Spirit is moving in us, and we start to live like Jesus preached. And we spur one another on to love and good deeds, as Hebrews 10:24 says. We love the Lord our God with everything. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We had a, a membership meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. And some really good questions were asked. But one, one question that was kind of hanging around was, what happens if there's a person who is sinning or appears to be sinning or maybe appears to have an unhealthy relationship with whatever, food or drink or something like how are we supposed to deal with that and jesus we already talked about even a few weeks before that um jesus gives some examples of how to handle when a brother or sister in this community is in sin but i'm starting to think that one way that we spur one another on to love and good deeds is by living love and good deeds and loving each other and if we sense that somebody is having a hard time with something say are you okay? How can I help you? Because usually we don't fall into sin unless we are struggling with something, right? So that's a different way of coming at it than saying, you should stop doing that because you're sinning. Maybe they are. But, and maybe it gets to that point. But I, my hunch is that most of the time, if instead of telling each other to stop doing stuff, we spur each other on to love and good deeds, that will take care of a lot of our sin problems. And that's where the Holy Spirit loves to work. The next to do, make disciples of all nations. So we are in Southbridge, and maybe somebody here has or will eventually have a call to go to another country. I had that for a while, and now I'm here, and <laughs> I guess God sometimes redirects us, but you may have noticed nations are coming here too. Some people find that scary. I don't think that's scary. I actually think that's part of how God wants his church to bring the gospel to all nations. It's a great opportunity. We don't even have to go anywhere. I believe that just if you just read the New Testament straight through with an open mind to this, you would see that one of the key witnesses of the church, one of the most powerful examples of how Jesus' kingdom is a complete reality flip, is that God intends to have a racially and ethnically diverse family. This is not a default of empire. Racism and prejudice and ethnocentrism and unhealthy nationalism are all things that come out of empire. And the whole New Testament is about dismantling that stuff. Because the good news is that Good news of reconciliation. First between us and God, second between us and each other. All each other. And when people see 
a community of Christ followers who are interacting across racial and ethnic lines, it is a powerful, powerful witness. It is beautiful. There isn't anything like it in the world. And people will literally ask questions about it because I've been in situations where that's happened. And people are like, what are you? <laughs> what kind of group is this? I can't put you in a box. This is great. This is the whole point of the kingdom. It's not boxable. So whether that means our own congregation becomes more racially or ethnically diverse, or it, we continue to make blankets for Afghan refugees, and maybe some of them start coming here, or we get to know them, or some of us host them in our homes, or maybe we partner with other churches in this area or around the world, or we go into the world. This is one of the most powerful ways that the kingdom of God can be furthered. And you don't even have to say anything to start out. People will notice. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism is really important, especially in Baptist churches. Um, it is a way that we publicly affirm that we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And he has authority over us. We are giving ourselves fully to the God who gave himself fully to us. There are a few people in this congregation who I think are on the verge of getting ready for being baptized. We're going to probably talk about that a little bit more. Um, maybe not here, but I'll, I'll be chatting with people um, <laughs> in the coming weeks or months. I cannot stress how significant baptism is. We we talk about baptism here as um, it's a symbol when you, because we do, in Baptist churches, we do baptism by immersion, so your whole body gets wet. Um, and when the person goes under, it's a symbol of dying with Christ. Your old self is done. You are being resurrected with Christ when you come up out of the water. Now you are living in Christ. It's a powerful, powerful symbol. It's a great way of um, participating in this family of Christ, and it's a public declaration. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We have this whole gospel that we can read and we can reread and we can study and we can practice again and again and again. We can remind each other of it. We can teach it. We can try to live it. We can wrestle with it together. And there's the other gospels. And there's the whole rest of the New Testament. These are the things that Jesus has commanded us. And surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus will continue to be with us forever, saving us from sin, from the consequences of our sin, the ultimate consequences, but also saving us from sin by forming us and transforming us to be more like him, so that by the Holy Spirit, we can bring Jesus to other people, and they can come to him, and they can start this process, and he will be with them. To the very end of the age too. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. Please, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to, first of all, want to do what you have taught us, and then to do it. And let us see people coming to you, learning to know you and love you, just like we are, for your glory, so that your kingdom may spread and that your will will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. In Jesus' name.